And brothers and sisters, I don't know too many words that are better than those in terms of expressing the gift of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Grace is the word of the day. Uh, during the season of Lent, we are trying to encourage each other as disciples of Christ to turn back toward God with all of our heart. And in each of these uh, services leading up toward Easter, uh, we are hearing at least three passages of Scripture from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, and from the New Testament to help us do that. Um, now today, in today's message, you're going to hear those three passages, and uh, I would like to suggest this image to you, which is the image of uh, a triptych. Now, if you're old or have AAA, uh, maybe you know what a triptych was from AAA. That's not the kind of triptych I'm talking about. Uh, a triptych in the world of art or music is something that's in three parts or three panels, which when you perceive the whole thing, comes together to a beautiful or complete image. And my hope and prayer in this message is that the three passages and the reflections that we'll hear will ultimately come together to show us the beautiful face of Jesus Christ. So the first panel comes from the Word of God, Joshua chapter 5, four verses. Now this is a part of the Bible where the Israelites are just about to cross into the promised land or have just crossed into the promised land. Uh, Moses, who led them faithfully for more than 40 years, has just died and his protege Joshua is now leading the people. And as they are about to make good on their destiny, these words come from Scripture. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So this place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Now a little bit of history. How long were the Israelites slaves in Egypt for? You're cheating. You heard the message at the first service. <laughs> 400 years is the answer. It was a, that's a long time, 400 years. How long were the Israelites wandering around in the desert? 40 years. 440 years. God has promised them the, the promised land. Now, interestingly, God says to his people, hugely transitional, transformative moment, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. He was not just talking about the years of slavery, long and burdensome and horrible though they were. God is talking about the 40 years that Israel was wandering in the desert because the reputation of Israel and God's reputation was kind of up for grabs because what good is a God who can set you free if he just lets you die in the wilderness? You feel that? So it would be reproachful to Israel and to the honor of God if Israel were to perish in those 40 years of wandering and God is saying today... I am wiping that clean and I am rolling that away. And the word Gilgal in Hebrew is the word roll. So in Hebrew you have rock and Gilgal, rock and roll. Okay, so Gilgal means to roll away. God is rolling the shame away. 
Now, there was a lot going on. It was 40 years of worshiping golden calves. Remember that story? Moses goes up the mountain. Two days later, the Israelites are making a, a false god out of gold, forging it and bowing down before it. They were not easy years. There are 40 years of complaining. Oh, God, if we only had more food. Oh, God, if we only had some clean water. Oh, God, if only we were back in Egypt, we'd be so much happier. It's a lot of complaining. And God is saying, I'm rolling all that away. Do you notice what meal they have right before entering the promised land? Not quite yet. They celebrate the Passover, right? It's also been 40 years of celebrating the Passover and remembering that God is the God of rescue. Here's how the passage continues. So the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. You remember what God said about the land of Canaan? It's the land flowing with milk and honey. Exactly. They ate unleavened bread and roasted grain, milk and honey, and the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, 40 years is a long time, right? Israel complained, what are we going to eat? God's answer to that prayer was manna. In Hebrew, the word manna literally means, what is it? Okay? Israel is, is wandering around the Sinai Peninsula. They complain, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? God daily sends bread from heaven to help them survive. What is this? Manna on the ground. And for 40 years, breakfast? Manna. Gather some manna. Lunch? Manna. The manna, manna that you gathered early in the morning. What are we having for dinner tonight? Manna. manna. 40 years. How do you think they felt about having some milk and honey and fresh roasted bread? Fresh roasted bread? You with me? You go to the bakery first thing in the morning? Donuts might be even better, but fresh roasted bread is all right. God is rolling away the reproach and he is feeding them with this new food. Now, God is kind and gracious. Israel could have starved in the desert. He could have let them perish, complaining people that they were. But God gave them the grace, the free gift, day after day after day after manna, grace for that 40-year journey. And now, as they are entering the promised land, God is giving them a new grace, produce from the land, milk and honey and bread, grace to sustain them. Now, this is a sign of God's promise. Sometimes when we celebrate communion here, we quote Psalm 34, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And on this day, Israel literally tasted and saw this new food with their eyes, and mm, they experienced that God is good. God was good in the desert, kept them alive. God was good... By bringing them to the promised land, God brings his people home. God is always going to bring his people home. Not just to the literal land of Canaan, but for those of us who are here today, I invite you to feel this promise. God is bringing us home. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, another way of describing this homecoming with Christian New Testament language is this. 
We are saved by grace through faith. Okay, this is our homecoming language. God is bringing us home by his grace through faith. Rev read these words from the book of Ephesians uh, when he welcomed us earlier in the service. It goes like this. For it is by, say the word, grace that you have been saved through faith. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. We are saved 100% by God's free gift of grace to us in Jesus Christ. But the way God allows that grace to enter our life is through our faith, through the window of our faith. We have to do just that little bit of cooperating to open the window into our life, into our heart, into our spirit, so that God's work and free gift can flow in. Now, the second part of our triptych is Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 is a psalm of confession. And I know this to be true. When we confess our sins to God, the window of faith opens like, like no other way. When we own up to our sin, our shortcoming, our failures, our addictions, just our rotten stuff, the stuff we know we should be doing and forget to do or deliberately don't do, when we say in God's presence, yep, God, that's true about me. When we confess our sins, the window of faith opens and God's grace comes pouring, pouring, pouring in. Um, I was tempted to read you Psalm 32, but uh, the book of Psalms was originally set to music, right? But nobody knows the tunes anymore. 150 songs that we only have the lyrics for. Um, so Kyle and Doug and I are going to share with you a musical version of Psalm 32. Uh, the words are really 100% straight up the word of God, Psalm 32. You know, so it's not the greatest song in the world because we stuck really close to the words. But I invite you, as you hear this, um, to let your mind linger about your own life, um, your own disappointments, your own failures. And as you hear the word of God, simply lay these into God's presence and allow once again his forgiveness and grace to wash over you. Stop the cover up. Then 
confessed all my sin to you. I stopped the cover up. The third and final part of this three-panel triptych comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And this third part, the center, is about the promised land, the grace that comes through God's Son, our Lord Jesus, living water, Savior of the world. Now, Luke, chapter 15, uh, Jesus tells three stories, and... uh, This passage is one that has a scene. If you can imagine, city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, a whole bunch of folks are gathered in a courtyard for dinner. Evening is falling. There's a fire in the center. Breaking bread, and Jesus is going to talk. Here's how God's word paints the picture of the scene. Now, 
Now, there were tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them three parables. Here's the scene. There's a big group of people. There are two populations. On the one hand, there are tax collectors and sinners. Okay, these are the wrongdoers. These are the people with the reputation. Maybe some rotten folks. On the other hand, there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the fine, upstanding citizens, the synagogue-going folks, the people like us. Okay? Two groups of people, all hearing the same three stories. And in this company, Jesus chooses to tell them a story about a poor woman who lost a coin, and she looks all over for it. She finds it. She's so happy. She throws a party and invites her friends over. Then he tells a story about a shepherd who lost a sheep, left all the rest of them, hunted the sheep down, found the sheep, brought it back home, was so excited that he threw a party, invited all his friends over, and they celebrated. And then he tells a third story, which sometimes we call the parable of the prodigal son. A better name for this story would be the parable of the two lost sons. Because each of the groups that are here telling these stories have a son to identify with. Okay, the rotten people, they have the prodigal son to identify with. There are some of us in the room today who feel rotten, right? We feel prodigal. We feel like we are far from God. And Jesus tells a story. Here's what happened with the son. The son basically told his dad... Dad, I want to cash out. You can't die too soon. Give me your inheritance. I want my inheritance now. Gets his money, leaves town, spends it all, probably has a really high time for a while. Liquidates his family fortune, ends up sleeping in a pigsty, penniless. He wakes up one day and comes back to his senses and thinks, I would be better off as a servant back at home than the life I'm living now. And he crawls back home. And this lost son, expecting maybe only to be treated like the lowest servant, when his father sees him in the distance, he abandons all dignity. He hikes up his robes, runs to the gate, embraces his son, and throws a feast, just like the first two stories. My son has come home. Everybody, come over. We're going to have a party. My son was lost and now is found. And then there's the older son, who, when his younger brother was off squandering his money and doing God knows what, was at home, doing the right thing, following the rules, taking care of the farm, running the business, helping it grow near his father's side. You might be wondering, how is this guy lost? When his younger brother comes home, it was the older brother's job to stand at the door and greet and welcome all the guests to this party for his younger brother. And in Jesus' story, that's exactly where he is. He is right at the door of the party, probably silently nodding as everybody comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's home, right. It was his next job to go into the party and as one of the masters of ceremony, help facilitate the good time. And in Jesus' story, he will not move from the doorway into the house. And this 
in that culture is a giant insult to his dad to not go into the party. And in Jesus' story, the father comes to the older brother now, comes to the doorstep where he is grinding his teeth, where he is wallowing in his resentment. And the father says this, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Do you hear the love and tenderness in those words toward this lost older son? But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. And that's how Jesus' story ends. Do you think he comes into the house? After hearing these words from his father, do you think his heart melts? Or do you think he's so bitter and frustrated at this whole deal that he just maybe walks off into the night? Jesus doesn't tell us. The parable of the two lost sons is a cliffhanger. On purpose, I think. Because if you have been a lost child, a lost son, if you have experienced God's embrace welcoming you back home, you know how good that is to be forgiven, to be Psalm 32 forgiven for whatever rotten things you have done or left undone. But some of us in this room, I would say maybe many of us in this room, suffer more frequently by being lost the way this older son is lost. That we're at home, in the church, near God, but our hearts are far from God's heart. And the things that make God want to throw a party don't necessarily excite us. If you've been in the church a long time and have ever had a thought like this, Why does our church spend so much time and effort trying to welcome and greet and be hospitable toward new folks? If you ever thought to yourself, why does so much of our, our giving go to ministries that maybe are for people outside our community here? Maybe I should give less to church because it's not going to things that I would approve of or for us. If you've ever thought to yourself, you know, I go to a good church, but I've been a Christian a long time, and quite frankly, I wish there was more meat at my church to help people like me be spiritually stronger. Now, if you've been in church for a few decades, and I have, you have had those thoughts at times. That is the voice of the older brother. It's the voice of self-righteousness, of being self-satisfied, of wanting to be honored and coddled. And to all of us who are like that older brother, God comes to the doorway where we're hanging out and says, Oh, my children, there is nothing better than when someone who is lost comes back home. There is nothing that makes my heart, God says, want to throw a party when someone who is dead in their sin comes back spiritually alive. My heart explodes. I want the whole town to know. I am going to invite everybody over. 
And Jesus says to the older brother standing there, and Jesus says to us, and I think Jesus says to his church, quite frankly, do you want to come inside? Do you want to let yourself be excited about salvation and grace for wayward people as I am? Do you want to abandon yourself to the party heart of God when the water of salvation rains down? Or do you want to hang out at the doorstep and just grind your teeth for a while? It's not a hard question to answer if you have the Holy Spirit beating in your chest, right? Like, God, sign me up. Let me come in. But, oh, we so easily slip into the sandals of that older brother. Can we see the triptych one last time here? We heard from the book of Joshua. Okay, one side. They were wandering in the desert, and there was a fence between them and the promised land. But God brought them in. Heard from Psalm 32, the desert of our sin, a fence between us and the presence of God. But God's forgiveness allows us to come in. This is a pretty happy, springy, summery, summer image, yeah? It's Lake Michigan. It's the sand. Remember what that feels like to have warm sand under your toes and approaching the lake on a day where the air is just oh, clear and good? That's a gracious thing a little image of what experiencing God is like. Uh, to conclude this message, I would like to suggest uh, a slight variation on this triptych theme. Um, if it would help your spiritual imagination, uh, please close your eyes. If you're not an eye closer, that is just fine. <laughs> on the left side, there is a cross. And on that cross are crucified all the sins and mistakes and errors and wounds of our younger brother prodigal selves. All the rottenness that we have ever thought, said, or done, it is stuck to that cross, crucified there, and it is not going to go on. God is putting it to death. On the right side of this triptych, there is a second cross. And on that cross is our older brother self, our self-righteous self. All the good, all the rule following, all the reputation building, all the positive self-serving that we've done, that is not going to live on either. That is being crucified to that older brother, lost son cross. And in the center, there is an empty grave. <laughs> the tomb of Easter that for only three days held Jesus of Nazareth. But then the resurrecting power of God came from heaven and earth and brought that man, our Savior, back to life. And that tomb now becomes a portal, a gateway to life. Your life. Can you imagine yourself 
being touched and transformed and changed and resurrected because of the power that comes out of that now empty tomb. By God's grace, you can taste and see and feel that. God's desire is to bring a new life for each and every one of his children. In Jesus' name, may that be true for you. And in the week to come, may you experience even a glimmer of that. Amen. Ah, Elam team, come back up. We're going to sing again in just a second. Church, uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite the deacons forward. God does not need your money or your check today. Okay? God does not need the money and our physical stuff. The way this works is that if you have experienced the presence and power of God, nothing should give you more pleasure than to give back the first and best of what God has shared with you, of your time, of your gifts, even your money too. That's what a, that's what a tithe is all about, saying thank you, thank you, thank you with the first and best of what God has given you because of what he's done for you. Um, so I invite the deacons forward, invite you to do this really well and generously. Uh, while the offering's taken today, we are going to sing and uh, invite you to join with the worship team.